Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, June 2nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, in the midst of a financial crisis, Jackson State University is cutting positions and restructuring departments. Hear details about the plan to reduce its budget. Deputy William Durr has been laid to rest. Coverage of the first of eight funerals for the victims in the deadly Lincoln County shooting spree. And emergency management officials remind coastal and inland residents not to be complacent after several years of uneventful hurricane seasons. The biggest thing is, is to build a plan, and that plan needs to first and foremost be to leave. You cannot anticipate everything that Mother Nature might do. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Jackson State University community is processing several major announcements this week. Interim President Rod Page has announced the school will be cutting jobs as part of a budget reduction and recovery plan. Under former President Carolyn Myers, the university's cash reserves dwindled from $37 million to $4 million at one point. The decrease was a part of the school's financial woes. The administration will now add the elimination of 42 positions to the decision not to fill vacancies. JSU also plans to realign programs. Danny Blanton is director of university communications. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier about additional deficits. The university went through a period of time when their operating budget took some pretty severe losses. $12 million a year over a four-year period, culminating in about $48 million. Uh, that um, that had to be accounted for. There are several reasons for the uh, for the budget deficit, um, but what it ultimately resulted in was uh, the dwindling of our cash reserves um, down to about four million dollars. So, uh, Dr. Page, when he came in in November of 2016, uh, knew that some tough decisions were going to have to be made. And uh, he began to he began to work on that. And uh, what you what you see in the uh, budget reduction and recovery plan is the uh, culmination of of months of hard work, of intense review of the 
of the expenses uh, that the university was obligated for and the revenue, a accurate picture of the revenue that's coming in. And, uh, and so uh, once that was done, um, then uh, we were able to uh, bring in a broad representation of the campus uh, in the form of four um, advanced development groups who were able to look at certain areas of the university. We focused on academics, administration, um, enrollment management, and business and finance. And recommendations were made that were then vetted through the chief financial officer and the president. And we developed a plan that we believe will put the university back on stable financial footing. Now, this isn't a quick fix. I mean, this is going to take... Um, this is going to take time. It didn't. We didn't get in a um, in a financial bind overnight, and it's going to take some time to return to where we were uh, previously. But we feel confident that this plan is going to set us on the course to get where we need to be. Looking at um, the plan, it includes implementing a hiring freeze, and uh, you said 42 filled positions have been recommended for elimination. Every alternative was considered before uh, reaching the conclusion that uh, further payroll cuts were going to be needed. Um, and we know these uh, these changes are going to be tough, uh, but it's going to put the university on a better financial position and, and, and allow the university to operate more efficiently in the future. While we don't we don't like it and we tried every every possible way to avoid it, uh, the reality of the situation is it's needed. It was necessary. It was critical. And um, and now we've got to put this plan in place to bring the university back where it belongs. Where will those cuts be made? It's 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 represented across a, a, a broad section of campus. Now it's important to point out, though, the faculty. No faculty are involved in any of the reductions. We were very careful throughout this process, and Dr. Page, being the former Secretary of Education, knew that we had to be adamant about. Uh, making sure that uh, with this plan and the measures in this plan that nothing is done to uh, to change the core mission of this university, and that's offering a world-class education to our students and giving, allowing them to leave with a degree that's going to make them competitive on a global marketplace. We couldn't hurt accreditation. How much money will this save? It's going to cut about 8 to $9 million off the 2018 budget. And once we're able to implement these measures and get the uh, the balance of expenditures and revenue back in uh, and you know back back balanced again, then we can shift our attention and focus on rebuilding the cash reserves. So this recovery plan, what stands out most to you? This is a true example of shared governance of the university. This isn't something that the administration came up with that, that was decided at the president's office and just pushed down to everyone. Uh, this is something that a broad representation of the campus community came together and uh, participated in developing this plan and making these recommendations and implementing this plan. In the midst of this, you've got morale issues because of a new president and how he was selected. How do you feel about how all of this is going on at the same time? Well, that's the reason it was so important to to roll this plan out when we, you know now. Uh, we didn't want to leave it on the shelf for the new president to come in, and um, and, and and Dr. Page was was uh, was very particular about that. He wanted to make sure that the plan was in place. 
and the path was laid to set the new president up for success. Because if he's successful, the university's successful. If the university's successful, our alumni are going to be successful. And that's the ultimate goal, is to give our students the opportunity to go out and fulfill their dreams. Thank you so much. Thank you, Desiree. That's JSU Communications Director Danny Blanton. Democratic Representative Gregory Holloway from Hazelhurst is vice chair of the House Universities and Colleges Committee. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the recovery plan is necessary. First of all, I think it's unfortunate, but it's uh, absolutely necessary. It's imperative that, that this proposal is realized. It'll realize about $2 million in savings, but it, it won't solve the problem because the school is in pretty deep financial straits and so uh, this would just be a starting point. There may be some other things that may be coming down the pipeline later, you know, to try to offset the deficit, but as unfortunate as it is, it's absolutely necessary that some restructuring and some things uh, have to be done. What are some of the things that you think that weren't done that got them to this point? To my understanding, some employees that came in on uh, grants uh, were retained as um, full-time uh, regular employees, which created a strain on the, on the budget because now you have to pay those employees uh, along with benefits. And so that helps that helped to create part of the problem. You have off-campus housing facilities, facilities, uh, satellite facilities, uh, different campuses, and it takes money to operate those facilities, and uh, that kind of, you know, added to the problem. So there are a multitude of things that cause this problem, and poor, of course, uh, poor management. Uh, financial uh, management as well, and so they were never never able to um, pull themselves out of this uh, financial problem uh, ordinarily. Now, I understand that there was uh, a proposal to try to uh, eliminate the deficit early on, but the plan never did what it was supposed to do. Do you think satellite locations need to be closed? That's probably going to be one of the other things that they'll be looking at. If you cannot adequately staff those facilities and pay for those facilities, then certainly they need to be eliminated. If you can't afford them, it's no other reason to try to keep them open because you already have problems and they will only create additional problems for you. So I think that they'll have to take a very close look at those facilities to see if they're indeed productive and it's something that they want to sacrifice and something that they want to keep in spite of doing some other kinds of creative things. All of these changes that are being implemented are being done under the interim President Rod Page. How do you feel about how he's handled this situation? Well, it takes time. Uh, You have to analyze and assess the situation before you can make recommendations. And I think he was obviously meticulous enough to take his time to look at all facets of the university and then decide that this is the best way to go to start eliminating the deficit. And so it's not an easy thing to do. It's a very challenging situation. So he did, I guess, the very best that he could do under the circumstances. In the midst of all of this, we have a new president coming on board at Jackson State, and that's a controversial selection by the college board. How do you think that that will work? 
I think Dr. Bynum, if given the opportunity, can put the university back on uh, solid footing. That's part of the dilemma is that you have these problems at the university because you have a, a serious financial problem. Then you bring someone in that people don't think uh, that are capable of doing the job. And so you got a serious situation swirling around in the university. It's going to take some time for this thing to uh, work itself out. As your role of being on the legislative committee for universities and colleges, is there anything that the committee does in relation to these type issues? It's basically, you know, IHL, uh, the college board, they set the the um, procedures for the process and the 20 steps that must be followed to uh, select a university president. The only involvement we would have is that if there's some breach in that policy that, you know, we feel like we need to implement through general law to try to make sure that that process is followed, you know, absolutely correctly. The other part is, of course, internal uh, at the university with the alumni association, community leaders, and the stakeholders. But, you know, at the end of the day, the college board, IHL, would make the decision regardless of, you know, how, you know, we feel or anyone else uh, may feel about it. At the end of the day, they put the person in that they think can lead the university through these uh, critical times. And I just believe that this is a temporary condition, and once Jackson State is put back on solid footing, they'll really uh, be back to the great university that it is. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. You're welcome. Employees affected by the budget reduction will receive a 30-day notice. Coming up, law enforcement from across the state gathered to pay their respects to a Lincoln County deputy gunned down during a shooting spree last weekend. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. You already know MPB Think Radio is a direct result of donations from listeners like you. But instead of counting the size of your donation in dollars, how about axles? trucks to motorcycles cars even 18 wheelers your donated vehicle of any size helps fund the programs here on think radio for more information on how to donate your vehicle visit mpbonline.org support You count on MPB News for in-depth coverage of issues that matter to you. The state's ongoing opioid epidemic. A bill to allow guns in churches. The child welfare crisis. And the best radio newscast in the state. Those are just a few of the stories behind 10 new Associated Press Awards and another Edward R. Murrow Award. For the award-winning coverage you've come to expect, count on us. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The first of eight funerals for the victims in the Lincoln County shooting spree was held Thursday. As Mark Rigsby reports, Deputy William Durr, killed in the line of duty, was laid to rest. Hundreds of law enforcement officers from across the state joined the family and friends of slain Lincoln County Sheriff's Deputy William Durr at East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven to say goodbye. The 36-year-old deputy was shot and killed while responding to a domestic incident in Bogachitta over the Memorial Day weekend. Lincoln County Sheriff Steve Rushing. We've had calls from all across the country 
from our fellow law enforcement officers who just called to say sorry for your loss. Nash, Tressie, they, as you can see, everybody loved William, regardless if they knew him. Authorities say 35-year-old Willie Corey Godbolt went on a shooting rampage, killing eight people, including Deputy Durr. The deputy leaves behind his wife, Tressie, and his son, Nash. Governor Phil Bryant says Durr is a hero. William Durr's torch will burn brightly. She bared it with courage and honesty and commitment. Nash, your father is a hero. He went into harm's way. And let us today pray for those families, the victims that were lost. Governor Bryant ordered all flags in Lincoln County at half staff in memory of those killed. Funerals are scheduled Saturday, Sunday, and Monday for Barbara Mitchell, Brenda May, Takara May, Austin Edwards, Jordan Blackwell, Farrell Burridge, and Sheila Burridge. Corey Godbolt is charged with one count of capital murder in Durr's death and seven counts of first-degree murder. He is jailed without bail in Capaya County, in Capaya County and could face the death penalty if convicted. Coming up, it's been several years since a major storm affected the state, and that has some officials worried. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. In 1862, Corinth, Mississippi was in the crosshairs. Both the Union and the Confederacy recognized the strategic significance of the two major rail lines which intersected there. These north-south and east-west lines were vital for moving troops and supplies. The railroads were so strategic that Confederate forces marched into Tennessee to attack the Yankees at Shiloh, trying to put distance between the rail lines and the enemy. But the rebels were defeated at Shiloh and retreated to Corinth, where Union troops held them under siege for more than a month. Outnumbered and unable to hold out, the Confederates retreated on May 30th, allowing Union troops to take the city. Confederate forces returned on October 3rd with another attack. After fierce hand-to-hand combat, Union troops held Corinth, and the railroads remained under Union control for the remainder of the Civil War. This has been Mississippi, a thread through time. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The start of hurricane season this week has emergency officials urging Mississippians to plan for the possibility of tropical weather. This year marks the 12-year anniversary of Hurricane Katrina that devastated the entire Mississippi coast on August 29, 2005. As part of Mississippi's Hurricane Preparedness Week, MEMA Executive Director Lee Smithson is reminding Mississippians to discuss their evacuation method en route, as well as how they'll communicate in the event of an emergency. Other tips include reviewing insurance coverage, securing critical documents, and updating the disaster supply kit with things like personal medications and food for pets. Director Smithson tells MPB's Evelina Burnett his greatest concern this season. I think my greatest concern going into this season is really the span of time since we've been impacted by a major event. Uh, In 2012, we had uh, tropical storm Isaac that came in, dumped a lot of rain. But really, since then, we haven't seen any type systems that have caused a, a widespread impact to the state. Uh, 
Hurricane Gustav gave us a glancing blow in 2008, but really we haven't seen anything significant since Katrina. And obviously that was significant enough, but we've got almost a whole new generation that's come up on the coast that hasn't had to uh, uh, deal with a, a, a big weather event. And then we've had so many people, because of the phenomenal economic development that we've seen down here on the coast, so many newcomers have come in that haven't dealt with one. So my, my concern is just a great sense of complacency and really the lack of education on what you're supposed to do in advance of a storm. What would you like to see residents do, you know, as hurricane season is beginning before we've even seen any storms come through? Well, I think that the biggest thing is 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 to build a plan, and that plan needs to first and foremost be to leave. You cannot anticipate everything that Mother Nature might do. So if you think you're high enough that you won't get hit by storm surge, we saw in Hurricane Katrina what that was like. In Hurricane Isaac, uh, people in the northern part of Jackson County didn't get floodwaters from Katrina, so they didn't evacuate, and we had people uh, being pulled out by the National Guard. So the first thing that I encourage everyone to do is plan on leaving. Uh, there is nothing that you have that's worth trading in your life for. Um, if you do decide to stay, you need to be uh, 100% self-sufficient for at least 72 hours after the storm has made landfall. And that includes drinking water, one gallon per person per day, enough non-perishable food to sustain you and your family. Because if you ride the storm out and you're fine, but you have no resources, you're a burden on all of our first responder community. Um, we used to say in the military, if you... Uh, fail to plan, you plan to fail. What I'd like to say is if you fail to plan for a hurricane, you're planning to die because Mother Nature will kill you and it doesn't care, you know, who you are, how much money you have. So just make a plan. It's very, very important. We saw after Hurricane Katrina, uh, so many people had money in their in their checking accounts, but with no electricity and the massive storm surge, there was no ATMs down here. So have cash on hand. Uh, understand that you know, before a hurricane or a tropical storm ever comes in, you need to go get gasoline, fill your car up. So it's just the things that we think of as more common sense than anything. But when a storm starts coming, people get into that panic mode and they don't do a very good job of planning on what they're going to do. Take care of your pets. Have a plan for your pets. So many people might say, well, I'll go and stay at the uh, courtyard by Marriott and I'll take the dogs up there. Then they'll get there and realize that they don't accept pets up there. So pets are part of your family. Uh, make sure you're including them as you plan for this hurricane season. But the, 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 the biggest thing that I can recommend is, is just plan to get away from the coast while a storm makes landfall. Is there anywhere that folks can go to find out more information? Yeah, of course, uh, our website, msema.org, uh, has the 2017 Hurricane Planning Guide that's got contact information for the six southern counties. Uh, you can go to those sites and pick up, get information on where the shelters are away from the coast, MDOT information. So we like to think that, that on our website, uh, with our hurricane planning guide, it's a one-stop shop to get all the information from the various state agencies that can provide great information. But if nothing else, just get to know your county EM director. Know that phone number because they can provide a wealth of information, too. Do you feel comfortable with what the sort of new storm surge information warnings are going to be? Well, I feel very comfortable with, with the fact that the National Weather Service is doing this, and I think it's a phenomenal program. The issue is now going to be is educating the public on what that means. But as Ken Graham said, uh, now when there is a surge warning, people will get those alerts on their smartphones uh, that they wouldn't have gotten before. And as Ken said, over half of the, the fatalities uh, related to a tropical storm or hurricane are actually due to drownings. 
And so, you know, if it's the number one killer, then we need to start doing a better job of educating people. Uh, that's what we saw actually with Hurricane Isaac, that people were thinking about the surge. So if they were inland, they didn't think that they'd be impacted by the surge. So we're, they're also tracking the rainfall amount and issuing those flash flood warnings for the northern part of the counties that we all know uh, are very prone to flash flooding as well. So being weather aware is really being water aware down here because it's not the wind that will get you as much as it is the water. So I'm glad that the Weather Service has really rolled that out and we're going to make a very concerted effort across the entire emergency management community to be educating people on what the surge warnings mean. Thank you so much. Sure. Good to see you. The Atlantic hurricane season runs through November 30th. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB public media app from the app Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio. for MPB comes from Grammy Museum Mississippi providing learning experiences based on all forms of music. Teacher lesson plans to download and museum tours for grades K through 12 are available. Information at grammymuseumms.org slash education.